Do you have a favorite Sunday school teacher? Maybe one of them is sitting in here today. Maybe it's Elvin Acock or Bud Blount or Joy Melton. Mine was Mr. Singletary who taught seventh grade Sunday school. He was an amazing teacher. And the reason I still remember that is because even if things weren't good in my crazy teen years, I know that when I walked into that room on Sunday mornings, Mr. Singletary loved me and he showed me Jesus. I wonder if Mr. S would ever have guessed that I would be an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church and serving at a place like Dunwoody. I never thanked him, but I've decided that I'm going to write his daughter this week about how instrumental he was in my life. Many of you here today show Jesus to our children every Sunday. Thank you for the time and love you give. You may never know how instrumental you may be in someone's life. Now in Georgia, everyone's favorite Sunday school teacher is Jimmy Carter, of course. No matter what political party you belong to, because no matter what, he didn't stop teaching Sunday school until the pandemic hit in 2020, and he was 96 years old. Some of you may have traveled to Plains to attend that Sunday school class. My husband and son were able to go one Sunday when I was working. Anybody else been there? 45 years ago today, then-President Jimmy Carter pledged his support for a bill that had been sitting on Capitol Hill for almost a dozen years. That bill was to make Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday a federal holiday. Carter followed up several weeks later with a supplement to the State of the Union address saying, King had led this nation's effort to provide all citizens equal rights, civil rights, and equal opportunity. And for that, Carter strongly supported this commemoration as a national holiday. This was seen as a turning point in that discussion, although the debate continued until President Ronald Reagan signed that bill into law on November the 2nd, 1983. The first federal holiday was observed on the third Monday of January, 1986. And tomorrow, we celebrate MLK's legacy on his actual birthday, January 15th, with many people observing a day on, a day of service and reflection in the community in honor and in memory of what Dr. King gave his life doing. I hope we can all find a way to honor Dr. King's life and ministry on what would be his 95th birthday. Dr. King was a moving preacher who believed in a God who loves every person equally and who longs for a world where every person is valued for who they are, a world where every person knows they are a beloved child of God, where every person treats the other as a beloved child of God, and God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven a beloved community of humankind who sing praises to God and give thanks for God's goodness. Perhaps using a psalm like ours today, a psalm attributed to David whose name means beloved. I wonder who taught Sunday, I wonder who taught Saturday school to David. Could that teacher have known what beautiful psalms David would write and what a legacy he would leave? Hear now these beautiful words of the 29th Psalm. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. 
The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all say, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the good news according to the Psalms. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our everlasting redeemer. Amen. Psalm 29 is a psalm of praise. Praise for God depicting the awesome glory and strength of God as that strength and glory of a powerful thunderstorm. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. As I was preparing this sermon this week, I reflected on this psalm during that powerful storm on Monday night and Tuesday morning. What a reminder of God's power and strength. What a reminder that we are small in comparison to God's creation, and yet we are God's beloved. When Phil arrived here three and a half years ago, it was his wish that the staff plan out our sermon series together and to plan them at least a year ahead when possible. So I find it providential that while we experienced a mighty storm this week, it was not a storm of snow and ice, but it was a mighty storm nonetheless. And did you know our forecast calls for a low of 15 this coming week? So hold on for that ice and snow. As the Northeast seeks to unfreeze from their frozen state, we just have to dry out our physical surroundings. Yet perhaps in each of our lives, there are places or things that need to be unfrozen as well. Last week, we began our new sermon series, Unfrozen, looking at the Disney movies Frozen and Frozen 2. Let me quickly bring you up to speed and set the scene for what we're talking about today. There are two sisters, Elsa and Anna, whose father is the king of a small kingdom. They have a sidekick snowman named Olaf. Do you want to build a snowman? Who follows them everywhere. The oldest sister, Elsa, has received magical powers from a so far unknown source. We learn that the king and queen, parents of the sisters, are lost at sea during a storm. Some of you have had that same pain this year or you know this pain of loss oh so well. And that's why we resonate with these young women. Frozen 2 has a complicated plot that finds the sisters and their snowman Olaf trying to understand something that happened long before they were born. And there's a point in the movie where the younger sister Anna is left all alone. She doesn't know what's happened to her older sister she has watched their snowman friend Olaf melt and she can't find her love interest, Kristoff. She is alone. She's worried and she doesn't know what to do next. I've been there. Maybe you have too. Maybe you're there now. When my father died, I was 23, just out of college and living in Houston, Texas. My mom, dad, and sister lived here and my brother was in Louisiana. I worked for a financial institution but had just received a job offer to move to Detroit to begin a training program and a career that I was really interested in. So I had to make a choice, leave people I knew and loved and everything I was familiar with to move all the way to Michigan where it snows 
a lot every year to the home of the national champion football team, the Michigan Wolverines. But even worse, I would be moving far away from my support system at a time that I really needed them. And there was no FaceTime or Zoom or cell phones or personal computers. What was I supposed to do? What was right for me? Maybe you've been through something similar. Maybe you're in the midst of something right now and you don't know where to turn or what to do next. Perhaps you're in a dark place where it seems all hope is gone. Either you've lost a loved one, a job, a relationship, and you don't know how to get out of that place. Maybe you're undergoing medical tests and you're anxiously awaiting results. Or you just received results that you didn't want to hear. Perhaps you're lonely or you're deep in depression or something is just not right. Maybe you're missing something in your life or you feel like you have more to offer. Or maybe you need to make a decision about something and you're struggling with it. Where do you turn? What do you do? As Anna sat in that dark place, not knowing what had happened to her sister and trying to figure out what to do, she sang, a tiny voice whispers in my mind, you are lost, hope is gone, but you must go on and do the next right thing but you must go on and do the next right thing. How do we know what the next right thing is? How do we even start? One of the best places I can think of would be in prayer, but maybe prayer is hard for you or you don't know what to say. Friends, there is no wrong way to pray. We worship a God who loves us no matter what. But we can turn to the Hebrew prayer book, the Psalms, And start with Psalm 29, a psalm of praise to God. Start with any of the 150 psalms. Use a psalm of praise or a song of lament. Let the words flow. Spill it all out to the one who wants to hear from you. Listen to what God is leading you to do and do the next right thing. Maybe that is as simple as putting one foot in front of the other. Even one foot forward is a start. One foot one step forward, knowing that you never walk alone. In 1996, a young man named Josh had a bad breakup with his girlfriend, and it left him in a slump, in a pit that he had a hard time climbing out of. So he started jogging. Today we call it running. I don't know why we call it running, because I see people running who are clearly slogging along, but I digress. Josh hated jogging slash running. He had always hated jogging, but thought maybe this time it would be different. After all, lots of people seemed to get something out of it, but this time it wasn't different. And it was just as boring and painful as he remembered. But this time he stuck with it. And as he puts it, he came out the other side. The runs began to feel different for him, more meditative and relaxing. He never thought he was the kind of person who would ever enjoy running. He told people that he felt the zeal of the converted So he resolved to help others discover the pleasures of jogging slash running. He wanted them to get to the other side without going through the same suffering that he had. So he tried to find ways to give people easy victories. He started scribbling out a plan that eased people into running goals. They needed goals, something to look forward to. He thought that running a 5K race would make a good goal. The races were public, they're social, they're competitive, they're fun. And the 5K represented an attainable challenge since most people in decent health could already walk a 5K. 
So we called his plan Couch to 5K. Maybe you've heard of it. In nine weeks, with three workouts per week, the plan would transform someone who just sat on the couch into a 5K finisher. The first workout was simple. You alternated a 60-second jog with a 90-second walk for a total of 20 minutes. Each of the workouts escalated from there. In 2000, Josh sold this concept to a company called Cool Runnings. Millions of people have used it. It's now known as C25K, and hundreds of thousands of people have participated in it. A simple concept that started as a small step out of a time of misery, and not only did it help Josh physically, it helped him mentally and emotionally as well. The next right thing. We can apply the same strategy to many of our own challenges, setting small goals to achieve. Now I know in some of his past sermons, Phil has challenged you to join him in some of his crazy exercise ideas. If any of you are thinking I'm going to do this couch to 5K thing, let me just say here and now, it's not going to happen. I can talk to you about prayer and contemplation. We can talk about spiritual disciplines. I'll even come to watch your first 5K. I understand there's even a couch to 5K Bible study that one of you could preach. We're beginning to talk more here at Dunwoody about the night to shine. It's coming up on Friday night, February the 9th. The Night to Shine is sponsored by the Tim Tebow Foundation. You might remember that Tebow's a former quarterback for the Florida Gators. He's a Heisman Trophy winner and a retired professional player. He's an openly religious person who started the Night to Shine in 2015 to celebrate those with special needs and to give dignity to people who were often overlooked. Tebow wanted to show the love that God has for those with special needs. And he wanted to reassure them that they were made in God's image and to give the special needs community a night that had value and significance. More importantly, he reminded them that they are children of God. Last year, I was honored to serve as a buddy at the Night to Shine. My buddy was Brian DeChant. And although it hurts my heart that my buddy is no longer with us, what an experience that was for me. If you're looking for a way to give back, if you're looking for that next right thing, there's nothing better than serving at the night to shine. Tebow retired from playing football, but not from serving God and God's people. President Carter had to retire from the presidency, but he didn't retire from teaching Sunday school until his health and the pandemic stopped him. This week, coach Nick Saban announced he was going to retire from coaching at the University of Alabama. Now, I know many of you were celebrating that retirement, but there's some of you who were not. I was listening to a sports talk radio show, not of my choice, on the morning after the news broke about Saban's retirement. Mike Johnson played at the University of Alabama under Coach Saban, and then for the Falcons, he said that Saban changed the way he lived his life and the expectations he had of himself. He said Saban pulled him aside and asked why he wasn't making a bigger difference on the team and that he, Saban, expected more of him. Johnson said that made him expect more of himself and the experience with Nick Saban made him a better man and a better parent. So while Nick Saban may be a football genius, he's a man who cares for others and he believes in them and he lets them know. I look forward to learning what his next faithful step will be after retirement. 
confirmations coming up here at Dunwoody in a few weeks. And our confirmands are taking the next faithful step in their discipleship by serving. You'll see some of them serving in worship. So encourage them and help them to know how much you appreciate and support their contributions. What is your next right thing? Is it to find a project for tomorrow to honor the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? Is it to write a letter to someone to let them know what they mean to you, like I'm going to write the family of my favorite Sunday school teacher? Is it to pray Psalm 29 or another psalm or any prayer? Whatever it is, I hope you will find the strength to take that next faithful step, to do the next right thing. And if it's the wrong thing, that's okay. Try again with the next right thing because we serve a God who calls us beloved and will love us no matter what. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.